like to talk and read all things books and mystery. Funny stories. The characters of youth always tend to be a sleuth. The Hardy Boys will do. Don't forget Nancy Drew. It's a clue. Hello, fellow sleuths. I'm Karen. And I'm Kelly. Welcome to It's a Clue, a faux crime comedy podcast where we, as of today, interview YA authors of books that we love. So today (laughs) we are chatting with Lily Sparks, the author of Teen Killers Club that we talked about in our last episode. And this is, as anybody who's been listening knows, our first ever author interview and our first time having a guest on the show. So welcome to the podcast, Lily. Yes. Thank you for being here. We're so jazzed. Lily, we have many questions for you today. Um, And I selfishly won the coin toss. I get to ask you the first question. So (laughs) uh, you mentioned, thank you for sharing your background of all of the the TV writing and screenwriting that you've done. And I am just like mind blown that people write books, like the process of writing a novel seems so hard to me. And I would just love to hear from your perspective, like what was what was the transition like or the learning curve from moving to more of screenwriting to sitting down and writing a novel? Um, Were there things that you didn't expect about doing it? I just I can't even imagine what that process is like. So any intel you have for us, we would love to hear about it. Well, I. I remember you guys discussing this in your review about how you are more of a poems person. And I think, to me, I can't even imagine, like poems are excruciatingly hard because every (laughs) single letter and punctuation and breath really, really counts. And um, I think that writing a novel can be very freeing if you're used to writing with a lot of control or restraint for like, if you have to meet a very specific page or word count, like. For, for screenwriting especially, and especially for TV, you have to have certain things land on certain pages. And then in a novel, there's just like, when you're writing that first draft, it's like sitting down with a tub of frosting and a spoon and just like eating it. <laughs> it's just like so free <laughs> and um, indulgent. And then like the editing process is, <laughs> is where you have to kind of get a little more rigorous. Um, but for, for uh, I had been writing books since I was like, I don't know, like eight or something, I've been trying to write novels. And then I didn't really understand how to write them until I did do other kinds of writing that made me more rigorous. And when I sat down to write Teen Killers Club, um, I had it like completely outlined, like chapter by chapter. I knew what was happening uh, because that's how I write, like, you know, any kind of screenwriting, you know, you have to be extremely rigorous that way. But then when I was actually writing the first draft, like everything changed completely. And I had to stop halfway through and re-break. And that's just kind of like the process now that I have found works really well for me is to go in with like a total plan and then just be really open to it changing. Hmm. Oh, Um, interesting. Yeah. Well, so with that being said, one thing I wondered, I mean, did you, how much of your plan changed? Like, did you know you know like the whole framework of the story or you know did like what parts of it i guess evolved as you got into it if anything well for one it went from being a standalone like romance between signal and javier to being a three book uh in my mind like a three book outline 
uh, where it's more about her and Eric. Like Eric was supposed to be the villain of the piece. Mm. <laughs> oh. Like I, interesting. I thought. Yeah, I thought he was originally Signal was going to kill Eric to protect Javier at the very end. Like he was going to be the big bad, and um, then as <laughs> that was wow. really gratifying the way you both gasped. <laughs> I, I am physically clutching my pearls right now. <laughs> that was that was such a gratifying thing. To, to <laughs> thank you for caring, but like it was, oh, ju- we are it was just so like, invested. <laughs> well then then as i was writing it's like in in the actual writing like eric kept making these arguments for why he was better for her where he's like oh like and i think some of it made it into the final draft where he's like oh i'm the creep and this guy's writing on your arm because i was writing javier is like a more traditional romantic hero uh-huh and there were just all this stuff coming up where i'm like i don't know if i like this guy <laughs> <laughs> and yeah i was just kind of following the characters around in my head and like Eric kept coming up with all these arguments for why he was like the better romantic hero and I was like this guy's persuasive I don't know what his deal is but he's really persuasive (laughs) interesting okay well so I'm gonna skip ahead then since we're talking about Eric (laughs) let's just cut to the chase here's my question is Eric legit or is he playing her well uh that's a big that's like kind of the central question of the sequel like that okay. is like kind of the big internal conflict of the sequel okay so, okay. so uh, all right which has then, a new title then, then we'll, we'll oh, wait for the sequel i'm <laughs> yeah which when do we get our preview copies of that please and thank you <laughs> oh i will put you on the arc list believe you me i will put yeah. you on the arc list uh, it's set to be published in fall of 22 and uh, recently settled on a new title. It was sold as Teen Killers Hide and Seek, but the new title is going to be Teen Killers in Love. So, Ooh, I love it. <laughs> that's that's kind of it. fun. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, I can't wait. I cannot wait. I oh, I will be there. <laughs> and I have never once agreed on who should win a love triangle situation, which. <laughs> Is, is what's allowed our friendship to blossom as sisters because we have never once wanted the same guy. So, uh, <laughs> I am team Eric hardcore. <laughs> yes, which was 0% really percent shocking. Uh, I, I just have many reservations. I can't wait to see what pans out in, uh, in part two. Uh, okay, so here's, here's my big question. One of many. Let's talk about the Wiley-Stanton test, because I found that whole concept fascinating slash terrifying mm-hmm. slash, like, entirely too possible. Uh, Karen and I both had to Google it. We were like, is I, I real thought thing? it was real. I thought it was real for, like, the first, like, <laughs> chapter. I'm like, oh, I didn't know about this. I should be careful with my search history. <laughs> So I'm I'm just curious like where that idea came from and I do and and my biggest question about the Wiley Stan test and again you can tell me if you can't answer this because it's in the sequel but m- my question is like Signal we know did not kill anyone so is she really a class A like does she really have that personality type comma or is the test flawed comma or did she get 
set up did she get framed by dave to get her like into camp so he could have access to her okay well without because i i don't want to give any spoilers away and like the the wily stanton does become like more and more kind of a thing in in the feature of the series so um awesome. yay l- let okay. me let me let me tell you where that came from which is kind of like they already kind of implement like a analog version of the wiley stanton which is like the hair checklist right and it's right. a it's a test for psychopathy um where like if you're up for parole or if they're they kind of do this they have a counselor kind of come in and do the the hair checklist with you and then they see if you have like these um signifiers or, or things that denote psychopathy and like mm-hmm. are you a, a danger to yourself and others and and like you know usually parole hearings will be based on uh you know behavior and like an interview and and the but having this kind of like very kind of cold test come in it really is very uh influential in um establishing parole so like yeah. i was listening to an american life <laughs> podcast <laughs> nice. about that and and I was like, I wonder how long they're going to keep this up as analog. It seems like the kind of thing. Because uh, another one of my like weird jobs, I, I worked in a blogging site for Microsoft that um, it predicted trending articles by like, uh-huh. I don't, it, ha- it was some kind of algorithm where they were researching like all of these like search histories and then coming up with trending topics. And the trending topics were always like the last thing anyone should be reading about. <laughs> like it was... <laughs> It was just very like garbage in, garbage out, um, and it made me just kind of very wary of algorithms in general. Where I was like, I don't know if these are predictors of <laughs> of our better nature necessarily. Uh-huh. So like, I, I'm just a, I, you know, I just I uh, algorithms are great, al- algorithms are good, but also, you know, they are fallible, and I feel like we have this attitude of like, if anything that's related to um, technology is going to be like. Uh, you know absolutely infallible and and yeah so the yeah. wiley stanton is kind of looking at it this idea of like well you know there are humans behind these algorithms there's like a history and a context and you can't just put all of your faith in like a one right. a, a one and done assessment of someone or like a um so that's kind of like a big debate in the book is like what you know is this algorithm to be trusted you know what where did it come from right. what who how is it managed i'm rambling (laughs) no no it's i mean i i love the idea of that because i you know have heard of the hair test before and and your point of like how long is this going to be analog is really interesting because i mean it's such a good point and you know then you know karen and i were talking about this a little bit in, in the episode about the book about i mean my god you know like how on earth would we get classified based on our crazy search histories and like you know i mean my podcast my just just my podcast queue alone it's like 45 <laughs> all true crime you know like i cannot imagine that would not land me on a i'm probably on a list let's just be honest like someone's somewhere someone some intern in the fbi is being told like just keep an eye on that one um well it like I don't know how much you guys are involved with like Twenty Three and Me or whatever. like you know how they caught like the um, yeah they caught the uh, Golden, Golden State, State Killer, Killer because like a relative uh, offered up like their Twenty Three and Me and they matched it with DNA and like oh yeah I've had crazy like in my own family like weird stuff has come up about like extended relatives through Twenty really? Three and Me. And sometimes I wonder, like, it's not impossible that maybe 30 years in the future, like, your 
kids or grandkids could download like your search history. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, because like there's all these things that in the past, like, like, sorry, but like in an extended part of my family, like we found out that someone's dad wasn't really their dad kind of thing. Uh-huh. And it was, it was like a family secret that like, I don't think this person ever thought was going to come out. And then lo and behold, <sighs> technology makes it possible to kind of blow up a spot. Yeah. And that could happen in, in ways we can't imagine like Absolutely. 15, 20 years down the road. So I don't know. I, I had fun thinking about those kinds of applications. Well, and I mean, I, it also makes you think about like, I mean, you, you brought it into the book with this implant device, right? Um, the, the kill switch that they use that's implanted in, in these kids. And, you know, again, 50 years down the line, is it so difficult to imagine an, a, a, a world in which we are implanted with our data, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, it's like you can't you can't imagine things that kind of are so far away and don't I don't know. I mean, at least I can. I don't have that kind of imagination. But like, is, is it so is it so difficult to imagine that our cell phone is not in our palm anymore? You know, and yeah. I wouldn't I mind know. that, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, I barely I could have a cell, cell phone. phone. <laughs> <laughs> I could have a cell phone chip just in my neck that would just update my grammar now and then. That'd be fine. You know what? Like, <laughs> better living through science. There's Automatic some... <laughs> spell check. <laughs> yeah. I'd take that. Oh this my just gosh. reminded me of something that has like plagued me since my youth. And I... <laughs> since your youth? I don't know if I've ever even told you this, Kelly, but you all may remember the era when Napster came into being Heck and yeah. it was like download free music all the time. And I was, you know, a young person and perhaps I was trying to download an album called the classic <laughs> punk album, Anarchy in the UK. And <laughs> Don't admit I, to anything. All general generalisms, Karen. I accidentally downloaded a PDF of the book, The Anarchist's Cookbook, oh my not God. knowing what it was. Oh, no. <laughs> and then I found out from there was like all of this like lore about that book at the time. Oh, yeah. I was like, what is this? And I found out that anyone who purchased a copy of that book was put on a government watch list. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. And I did not sleep for months. I was like, someone's going to come for me. Like, they're going to come <laughs> bang down my door. I was like trying to like delete the hard drive of the computer. I was like, I didn't even want this. I just wanted to listen to like a punk album. And like, I was so afraid that like the, the CIA was going to come like take me away. I was like, oh, this is how mom's going to find out. I put Napster on our home computer. Right, right. <laughs> That's so funny. I, Karen, I, I had a similar thing. Somebody gave me a bootleg VHS of something. I can't remember what it was, but I, I was convinced that I was getting picked up by the FBI, you know, for violating that <laughs> that bootleg warning, you know, that comes up at the top of all VHS movies. <laughs> I, uh, my husband always makes, there was like this commercial they used to show at the beginning of movies um, to keep people from like basically recording them while they were in the theater. And for some reason, the slogan they had was, you wouldn't download a bear, would you? Do you remember this? <laughs> 
a bear. And Garrett will get it. It was this whole thing where it was like trying to be like Smokey the Bear, like only you oh can prevent God. forest fires. But it was about bootlegging, and it made no sense. And like every once in a while, when like our Wi-Fi is acting up, Garrett, Garrett just says, "You wouldn't download a bear, would you?" And I'm like, "Why is this a thing in our life?" I don't know. Ah, <laughs> love. Uh, Okay, I have a question, Lily. Um, so I work in an audiobook company, Libro FM, and so I actually both read the physical copy of the book and alternated between the physical copy and listening to the audiobook. And I loved the audiobook, and I I just don't know how that works from like a publishing perspective. Like, how did you decide to have an audio version? Like, did you get to help like pick the narrator? Like, what was that whole piece of it like? Oh yeah, that I'm a huge audiobook fan. So when I found out that like um I believe Dreams Dreamscape is the audiobook publisher that does okay. Teen Killers Club. I found out from my publisher Crooked Lane that Dreamscape wanted to like buy the audio rights and I was like over the moon because audiobooks are they're what get me through. You know, when there's one set of tracks on the beach, that's when audiobooks have been carrying me. Um but they sent me like I think like five or six clips of different narrators, each doing like a like a very small portion of the book. And as soon as I heard the narrator um, Jesse Valinsky, I was like, "Oh, it's her!" Like it took me five minutes. <laughs> like as soon as I got to her clip, I almost didn't listen to the other ones. So I was like, "No, no, no listen to them all." But like as soon as I heard her, I was like, "Oh, she's so like she's so brilliant, and she does an incredible like she's so committed." Um, the whole like third of the book where they're where she's doing like the cult leader i it blows me away she just it cracks me up and she like she just finds all the nuance and she's brilliant she's really brilliant um jesse vlinsky yeah she's amazing and I, uh, she makes the book so much better <laughs> <laughs> i loved her narration so much like i i think i had read probably the first like third of the book before I like switched over to audio because I was like I want to experience it both ways and the second I heard her voice I'm like this is the perfect person for this book (laughs) (laughs) she's amazing I I honestly think the audiobook is kind of better than the the text version because she puts so much into it so oh I love it I I love it so much (laughs) well so without getting too much into like what was your inspiration for the book I'm curious, are you a true crime fan? That's, I hate saying a fan. That's not the right word. <laughs> do, are, do you avail yourself of true crime stories? I don't know what a better oh, way to say it is. Time. but um, And like, were there any kind of like true crime cases that you used as inspiration in the book? Um, there's a lot of references to different true crime cases. Like I in college like a friend pressed a copy of like helter skelter into my hands mm-hmm. and i think i've read it once a year ever since oh really i've never and read that actually oh it's, it's so good it's so I've good never read that. um it's like really dark and, and upsetting but it's also just fascinating yeah. and i've also read the, the weird rebuttal chaos which is this other guy who's trying to refute everything in helter skelter he's like a manson truther I don't know. I, I'm obsessed with the Mansons. It's incredibly fascinating. It's like the great American true crime. Um, with that, like, I don't like. I don't like gory stuff. Like, I'm an Agatha Christie fan to the Same. bone, but I yep. do love. I love like killers after the fact. Like, I've watched the Staircase. Yes. Like the Peterson Staircase murder documentary. Oh. I think I've seen that like 14 times. Same. I, I've so watched good. it obsessively. <laughs> okay, I so just, like, there's. Did Did he do it, or was it the owl? 
Um, <laughs> we gotta find that owl. Uh, no, he definitely did it. We gotta find yeah, that agreed. owl. <laughs> there is just one the Durham-based homicidal owl out there. <laughs> that owl has had it too good for too long. Oh my god, um, I'm dying. <laughs> I can't imagine how someone could seriously think an owl would uh, cause someone to fall down the bottom of the stairs like 16 times. But, right. like, sure. um. <laughs> but the talons, Lily. No, I'm kidding. I mean, I, I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with your assessment. <laughs> Where was the owl in Germany? Where was the Thank owl in you. Germany? I, I, uh, <laughs> cousins. Long lost owl maniac. I don't know. I agree with you. <laughs> That that was actually my biggest celebrity sighting in my heart uh, in Los Angeles were like his kids, his daughters were at a screening of Spring Breakers I went to and sat right next to me at like Arclight. And I was just like freaking out because I didn't want to stare at them. I'm like, bless their hearts. Like they've been through enough. I don't right. want to be sitting here just like gaping at them. Uh, my, my biggest missed opportunity was uh, the, his, their, the attorney. Um, Rudolph, oh. uh, whatever I can't I can't think of his first name. Um, he was doing like a a little kind of I don't want, like not a theater tour, but like he was coming to a, a venue near me at one point, like I don't know five six years ago, and doing a kind of a Q and A situation. And I was like, oh my god, yes, I'll take seven <laughs> tickets and I'm gonna sit in all seven <laughs> seats. Like I'm going. And then of course it happened to be I was out of town and I couldn't go. Um, no, it was just I know. I know. It's like I, I, I know that owl got brought up. For sure, it did. <laughs> By him. By him, exactly. <laughs> He's like that owl is a valid theory, guys. <laughs> he came in wearing an owl sweatshirt, and wearing exactly. an owl baseball cap. Down with owls. Yeah. <laughs> they gotta be stopped. My celebrity sighting is like so different but i once walking down the street in san francisco saw robert pattison from and many other films he was just like casually strolling towards me at which point i clutched my heart like a 13 year old and just and like gasped and he like he saw me do it and he like kind of like mockingly made like it was in a cute way like made the same gesture back at me he like clutched his heart at me and i was like oh god it's edward cullen oh my god how have I? How have I never heard this story? I would put that in my Christmas card every year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still processing it. I haven't recovered. <laughs> he is. I. I. How many times have I watched Twilight? I don't want to admit that on a podcast that's published, but I've watched it. So I've more than recently, one. <laughs> I've rewatched it all recently. Let's put it that way. And I mean, he is just the dreamiest of dreamboats, which I mean, he's easy on the eyes. Um, also what just recently came up in my Insta feed is that iconic picture of, uh, not Javier, Jacob, um, (laughs) Jacob in his green screen wolf attire. So he's just in this like full head to toe nude bodysuit with like, you know, like the green screen balls all over him, like bending down so that Bella can pet his head. And it's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. It never gets old. Um, so that being uh, said, I, this is a burning question of mine. Who is going to play Eric Javier and Signal in the movie? 
which will oh obviously be happening. Oh if gosh. I have anything I to say know. about it. I have such con- like concrete images of who they are that it's very hard for me to answer that because I'm like, well, I know who would play them. This figment of my imagination. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts on fantasy casting? I oh gosh, oh, I I know what, I know what you mean. Like I then this is like such a tribute to your writing. Like I have such a strong image of all of them in my mind um, that it's any like real person now. I'm like well, that's, that's not, not exactly that's not exactly right. who I pictured. <laughs> I do think that the the two bros that are in the TV show Letterkenny should play <laughs> the twins, though. That's my one. That's my one request. <laughs> yeah, I. My older sisters are um, twins together. They're twins with each other, and that's actually how I found your podcast. Is my sister's like a huge Nancy Drew fan, and when we were growing up, she read like oh. all the Nancy Drew books. And like before I could even <laughs> read, I was like cracking them open and just like scanning the lines to like be more like her and I was always Aww. so curious about like what is this Nancy Drew person <laughs> up to because the covers you know they're very intriguing yeah um, oh they scared but, me to uh, death as a kid <laughs> yeah. I thought that was so what like, horror was <laughs> I mean they're, they're terrifying but yeah. uh when like I actually wrote the book and like I, I gave it to my sister to like read first um She's actually a big part of why it got published because after she read it, she's like, you have to show this to like uh, an agent. You have to find an agent with this. Like she was a huge cheerleader of the book. <laughs> um, but like her big note was she was like, how could you kill off one of the twins? <laughs> I know. And, and why did it have to be Troy? Like... What'd you have against Troy, Lily? <laughs> uh, he's the funny one. I, I thought it'd be good to kill off the comic relief so people knew I wasn't messing around. Not it's messing like around. breaking a chair in prison. <laughs> I just wanted to show everyone I meant business. I was like, you know what? Don't get comfortable. <laughs> I was horrified. Like, I, I I, gasped the same level I did as when they killed Dumbledore. And if oh. that just ruined Harry Potter for anybody, <laughs> no. I'm sorry. Seriously, I was like, what just happened? Oh, I, I yelled out loud, too. I was laying on the couch reading it, and I went, no. And my husband was sitting by me, and he was like, What's going on? And I was like, oh, some major shit just went down in the book I'm reading. I know. I texted Karen. I was like, has Jada not been through enough? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Ugh. Bring Troy back. Just for Troy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So one one burning question I have, and I, I get that you kind of didn't do this for a very valid reason in the book, but... I'm going to disregard all of that and say, I don't care. I want to know. <laughs> Forget your reasons, Lily. I want to know what all these people did to like wind up in prison and wind up on this list. Are we going to find out some more backstories perhaps in the sequel? Oh yeah. I mean, okay. So there's a scavenger hunt list where it kind of drops a lot of hints about what each of their backstories yes. are. And Yes. In the next book, we find out Eric's backstory, and we find yes. out nobody's backstory. Yes. Um, Yay. And, you know, one of those is a lot juicier than the other, but, like, they're both pretty... <laughs> one of them has longer-reaching implications than the other. Um, okay. But I just, like, I, I, I wanted to know about those characters, too. Um, I had, like, really rough ideas, like, going in and what everyone had done, and then, like... 
in the writing, other stuff came up. And then I was like, I need to really like write out, like I kind of know what happened with them, but I really need to write it out. Mm-hmm. Like as soon as I finished the first book, I was like, I, I kind of need to know what happened. And um, yeah, that was like, that was a big part of kind of like breaking, breaking the, breaking it out from being a standalone to being like, oh, this is where the world goes, was figuring out those two backstories. Awesome. I'm very excited awesome. to hear this. I will just say, I love Nobody <laughs> so much. I we, I think we both said this on the last episode. I was like, Kelly, what's your favorite character? We're simultaneously like, Nobody. <laughs> I love that character. I love that she is like like so fiercely loyal she is just like uh, deeply like kind and then secretly the most beautiful woman in the world (laughs) underneath her ski mask and still so kind and i cannot wait to learn more about that character i'm so excited for the sequel yes um okay curveball question coming from out of nowhere um my favorite conversation in the entire book was when jada is talking to signal about how some women are you know you can be a barbie (laughs) or a skipper which one are you (laughs) and lily are you a skipper or a barbie and i will caveat this question by saying that when I asked Kelly this, her answer was Care Bear. So you can answer in any way you choose. Um, you know, I would like to say that I'm a Barbie, but I'm much more of a skipper. And I don't know if that's like from having been a little sister for years and years or if it's just I, I just find it very fascinating to be kind of in the corner of a room listening to everyone else. And that's that's, that's my go to mode in social situations is just trying to like sidekick it with uh, someone fascinating. I don't know. I find other people extremely fascinating. So I think I'm more of a skipper. I love it. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> Thank you. Karen's a secret Barbie. She just doesn't want to admit it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think, I don't, I don't think Barbie, there was never like a goth Barbie. So I don't think, I think by default, I've been eliminated yeah, yeah. from Barbie categories. That's just Barbie's not to Joy Division. She's not downloading... <laughs> you know anarchy in the uk like barbie doesn't have these inner riches that skipper does that barbie is a state of mind karen and i think i think that's your i mean in in in, that's a total compliment you're a secret barbie i okay well this is the first (laughs) secret barbie i'll I'll say this I, i think the world loves barbies but it needs skippers it's true totally agreed yes skippers are what keeps the world spinning absolutely (laughs) so can you tell us more about what you read for fun and kind of like just in general but also are there authors that you get really inspired by and that you were reading like while you wrote teen killers club um yeah what is your what is your reading life like um well like the first the first like most intense experience i had with books was like on a snow day reading and then there were none by agatha christie when i was like eight or something and like i just had the whole day to sit on my chair and read it i remember setting it down at one point because i didn't want it to be over yet and i was like Mm -hmm. this is the best this is the best life can be (laughs) just like this total indoor kid thought but i was like this is so this is so right like i don't even know if i want this moment to end it's never going to get better than this and like I think I kind of carry that moment as like the torch of when I'm writing things. It's like, if I can give someone that moment, like I, that's, 
probably the best thing I can do um, as a writer. So like, yes, I'm just constantly trying to like capture that feeling of like, oh, I really want to know what happens, but I also don't want it to end. And Mm -hmm. for the, I do read a lot of true crime, um, not the gory stuff, (laughs) but I I do think true crime is really interesting. And I listen to a lot of true crime, like podcasts and Mm -hmm. stuff. And I don't know if that's just, I'm the exactly right demographic age and location wise or but it, it hits a nerve with me and um i love hillary mantel who is not in my <laughs> genre and is not <laughs> she's like she's so far removed from like anything i can do like i feel like a total dipshit referencing her but like i do love her writing and like i think about it all the time and like totally i re-listen to her books i've like i've got all of her books from her entire career I reread them I go back to them because I think she really brings um, a lot of layer and nuance and it's not something I even try to it's not something I could even hope to imitate it's just something I enjoy Mm -hmm. Um, so she's awesome agreed (laughs) well and I I think I speak for Karen with this as well but that I mean I have I have experienced that same thing that you were talking about with and then there were none so many times and i had that same experience with your book where i i oh. only allowed myself to read a certain number of pages a night because i wanted to drag it out and what ended up happening was yep. you know i got to the end and the next thing i knew it was 2 30 in the morning on a school <laughs> night really like it was i am an, i am a 10 30 lights out person and it was 2 30 in the morning because i couldn't put it down so um really totally. really an amazing book loved it oh, so well thank you so much that's incredibly it's so nice to hear that so that makes me really happy thank i'm you. curious who uh illustrated the cover oh yeah that's um adam caravalho i think i hope i'm saying that right i believe he's brazilian and mm-hmm. i follow him on instagram and i should like shout out his handle because he does incredible incredible illustration work really and really cool cover. You can, like he has he has prints of like just these really he does a lot of like just very rad girls wearing like masks mm-hmm. <laughs> and i wonder if that's awesome if that's part of what made them yeah reach out to him reach out to him but yeah he's amazing the the cover is so um it, i was actually thinking about this earlier like and it was probably because of the cover but i'm like you know it would be amazing to have to see this done as a graphic novel or to get like um even like mini graphic novels of the individual characters' backstories. So Ooh, just throwing that, that be, out there. That would be rad. That, <laughs> it's so weird because like twice in the past month, like three times in the past month, it's gotten to number one on Amazon for teen graphic novels. And I'm uh-huh. like, I don't know if this has been filed incorrectly. <laughs> I just keep picturing these like really disappointed young people getting it in the mail and opening up and being like, it's just words. <laughs> like, what no is way. this? <laughs> um, I'm not sure who to like alert <laughs> on like Amazon side and be like, uh, I need That's to mis- correct a mistake in my favor. But um, yeah, no, it's a beautiful, it's an incredible cover. And he really did a fantastic job of like capturing anxiety in a leather jacket. Um, yeah, I, I was blown away by the, cause like as an author, like they give you kind of like, they're like, what are some things that you're interested in about the cover? And like, what are some moments you think might work for the cover? Uh, like there's nothing I imagined that was as good as what the illustrator came up with. So 
it's just it was really cool to see it for the first time and I was like damn this is happening (laughs) I always like think about that moment too like I'm sure as an author like is this real or did I make it up in my mind like you get (laughs) a box of books and it's like okay here's your box and you have that moment of opening it and seeing it and holding it in your hands and I'm like that must be the most like euphoric and surreal moment ever to have this thing that you've put your like whole heart and soul into for so long be like a tangible thing in your hand it's like I I've, I would be curious to to like get in a room full of 2020 debut authors because it was such a wild ride like that whole year it was just like such a wild ride and there was definitely a point when I was like I think my publisher had like some paper shortages and like I think they had to delay like the batch of books before my book came out um just to kind of catch up with like all of the like shortages that were going on at the time and like shipping issues with the pandemic. And like, so there was a period of time where I'm like, this just might not happen at all. <laughs> like, yeah, it was, it was very touch and go. I was also like Clorox and gro- groceries and, you know, starting a seedling garden. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> this is putting a lot of things in perspective for me. <laughs> um, so like, I feel like a lot of debut authors like kind of fill their debut year with like books book stops and and seeing people and going to like a Barnes and Noble and seeing it on a shelf and like there was none of that for me I did not leave my house I was uh yeah just very VC Andrews about the pandemic (laughs) and (laughs) just peering out of my third story window yep um so when actually seeing like the actually seeing the book it's really the only connection I have to it being uh out there in the world um so it is it is nuts and it's been like it's been very crazy it's just been a crazy experience to have a pandemic on top (laughs) on your debut year oh my god I cannot imagine I hadn't even thought about that but yeah it's like well here it is and enjoy staying in your home for another year congratulations (laughs) wild yeah no there was like a it was nominated for an award in New York and like I think normally like people go to this like thing and and it would have been a fun excuse to go to new york and instead it was like a zoom oh, <laughs> a man. zoom event oh and just like all these little <laughs> things where i'm like i i'm pretty sure i'm not imagining this but <laughs> what evidence do i have i have this book okay it's real nothing more fun than one more zoom that you want to go to you know <laughs> uh, so so tell us again when does the sequel come out the sequel comes out fall 2022, and I turn in edits on Monday. I'm uh, <gasps> Yay! doing like a final last looks grammar polish, and uh, yeah, teen killers in love. Amazing. Um, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Thank you. I'm really excited about it. Well, hopefully this uh, this time around you get to enjoy the the festivities and get a little pomp and circumstance in real life, so down with zoom hey (laughs) (laughs) and please come make sure that your book tour comes to seattle selfishly for me and to cincinnati for kelly and we will we will rally the troops in both of our cities and show up in mass oh (laughs) hell yeah (laughs) i think that is i mean i could talk to you for like 12 more hours but i think those are our questions for today kelly any other burning questions that remain for you I mean, a thousand, but, you know, I think I'm just going to have to wait until the next book comes out so I won't put Lily on the spot I'm asking her to just spill the entire next book. So. Well, Lily, thank you so much for doing this. This has been so fun. Like, my face hurts from smiling. Um, we appreciate you so much, and we just support everything you're doing and cannot wait 
for your next book well oh thank you so much this has been just a real pleasure and uh please keep it up with the nancy drew podcast it really like i'm doing a illustration gig right now i'm listening to podcasts all the time and you guys are totally my favorite i just love hearing about the stories i love Aww. hearing about your weeks every week keep it up you guys are amazing <laughs> thank you so much mm. so uh karen should we talk about next week? Yes, it will be less exciting than this week. We're back to Nancy Drew. Um, and it will. Do you, which one are we reading next week, Kelly? Well, Karen, we are interviewing Mildred Wart Benson next week. Oh, so are, are we? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Millie is coming to chat. Uh, we are reading what I can only assume is an architectural mystery. Oh. The Clue in the Crumbling Wall. Oh, interesting. Yes, okay. I did... I did do a Google on this one. That sounds gross. Why did I say a Google? I did a Google. I don't like that. Yep. (laughs) I don't like that at all. Um, I Googled it. There is like Wikipedia has an entry on this book, but it says like Nancy and her people do something. (laughs) It's like one line. Um, I believe it involves shocker an inheritance okay a financially based a financially based kerfuffle okay correct um i didn't i didn't see this on the wikipedia presumably it involves twins a boat accident and some kind of ghost but that is yet to be determined so the clue in the crumbling wall awesome i look forward to it um well thank you everyone for listening please rate review and subscribe you can find us on instagram at it's a clue podcast you can find lily on instagram at teen killers club so stay tuned there for the sequel that is coming your way and remember what we learned today in our conversation with lily author of teen killers club the world has lots of barbies but it needs more skippers (laughs) yes an important takeaway well and all three of us we have three people that get to say this now we're gonna say happy sleuthing on the count of three and i don't know if it'll work or not but uh three two one happy happy sleuthing sleuthing. (laughs) i made it weird (laughs) it was perfect it's a clue is hosted by kelly biscopink and karen farmer our logo is designed by Courtney Kyle. You can find her on social media at I am Courtney Kyle. The It's a Clue theme song was written and recorded by Danny W. You can find her on Facebook at Danny W Music. Audio engineering is graciously done by our friend Mark Goodlow. <laughs> <laughs>